The Vape Passion Show, episode 83. In this episode, we're going to do an e-juice review for The Waffle Cone Blue Nana by Cyber Liquids. And then we're going to talk about Scott Gottlieb sharing more about the FDA regulatory framework in the New England Journal of Medicine. Thailand imprisoning people for vaping. New York City Council attacks electronic cigarettes with several bills. And the University of California, San Francisco says Big Tobacco is selling NRT products that don't work. Hey, welcome back to the Vape Passion Show. I'm Alex, this is episode 83, and I'm recording this on Sunday, August 20th. If you're planning on buying a vape product anytime soon and you want to support the show, go to vapepassion.com vendors and buy from one of those links. There are more than 50 popular vendors listed. I'll get a small commission for referring you, but it doesn't cost you anything extra. So the first thing I want to mention is that for some reason, YouTube stopped sending me notifications when I would get comments on any of my videos. I don't know why, uh, but when I went to look in the comment section of my account, I saw a whole bunch of comments that I didn't even know existed. So I want to apologize to any of you for not responding um, if you left me a comment. I went back and tried to respond to everyone, but I'm sorry if I might have missed yours. If you had a question for me and I missed it, please feel free to ask again. I went to the dentist last week and I got some fillings replaced. My wife hates me because I never go to the dentist and my teeth are always in really good health. And I think the last time I went was uh, maybe six or seven years ago and everything checked out fine then. And then the time before that was about 10 years. So I know I should be better about it, but I'm not, so what can I say? But last week was the same. I had to get two fillings, but it was only to replace two existing fillings that were getting old. I didn't have any new cavities. So yeah, my wife was mad because every time she goes, she has a new problem. And she's really good about her dental health. She brushes twice a day. She flosses regularly. She goes to the dentist regularly. Now, I don't floss at all. I usually br brush only once a day in the morning, and then I go to the dentist every 10 years. Anyway, they, they had to numb my mouth, and I noticed something interesting with vaping. It's pretty much accepted that we taste vapor with our olfactory receptors in our noses rather than entirely with our taste buds in our mouth. And that's true to a degree, but after having my mouth numbed, I could see just how big of a role the taste buds play in tasting vapor, and in my case, a very big role. I couldn't taste the vapor at all when my mouth was numb. I could smell it just fine, but I couldn't taste it. So when people say that vapor's tongue or flavor fatigue is incorrect terminology and that it should be called olfactory fatigue instead, tell them to go to the dentist and get their mouth numbed up and then see what they think. Um, and then randomly, my Predator 528 died on me, so I took it apart. Which well, it wasn't unexpected considering the reports from this device uh, over the last few months. But so I got it in April and it lasted four months. So I opened it up and sure enough, there was juice everywhere. And I think I I think I talked about this a little bit before. But one of the areas that Wismex skimped on this mod was the 510 connection. On the inside, they didn't seal it off. So e-juice gets in there, it seeps down into the components. I've always been really careful with this device so that I wouldn't overdrip and get too much in there. But there's just nothing you can do about e-juice getting into the 510 area. So yeah, it died completely on me. I'm really bummed about it too because it was such a, ni a nice device. It performed well, it looks great, but it's just so cheaply put together that it can't last. Alright, well that's all for me, so let's get into the topics this week. First up, let's do an e-juice review of the Waffle Cone Blue Nana by Cyber Liquids. So this is made by Cyber Liquids, based out of Brea, California. So I was at work and there was a really big gas leak under the street right next to our building. So the fire department evacuated everybody. Um, I decided to walk down the street um, to the vape shop and I ended up with Waffle Cone Blue Nana. Uh, I've been vaping it for a couple of weeks now and I wanted to share my thoughts. First, the packaging. The box art is really nice and appealing. The bottle itself also looks great. 
so you can't see inside, which kind of sucks, but it looks nice and it probably prevents sun exposure, so that's a plus. Cyber Liquids describes this as a perfect mixture of creamy blueberry ice cream with mini banana chunks scooped into our signature waffle cone. It's a 70VG 30PG e-juice and you can get it in 0.3 and 6 milligrams of nicotine. It smells like the name implies, blueberry and banana. It smells mostly like banana. It also smells really freaking sweet, like sickeningly sweet, which is why I bought it, because I love sweet e-juice. Okay, so the taste. I really like it. It's not as strong or as sweet as it smells, but it's still pretty sweet. I can taste pretty much everything here that they say is in it. The banana is the strongest flavor by far, followed by ice cream, and those are definitely the dominant flavors. I get the blueberries and the waffle cone in the, in the background. I got this in 6 milligrams nicotine, and it's fairly smooth, but it, but it does have a harsher throat hit than I would have expected. It's not terrible though. It's a little expensive. The vape shop that I bought it from sells it for, in 60 mil bottles for $26, but it was on sale for 40% off, so I got it for $16. Looking online, I see it on Cyber Liquid's website for $18.99, so that's a little more reasonable. I have noticed that I get flavor fatigue from this fast though, and I think it's because of the sweetness. I can vape maybe 15 hits, and then it starts to lose flavor on me, so I have to switch flavors and then come back to it again later. But if you like sweet flavors and you don't mind gunked up coils, you might like this one. Okay, let's move on to the next topic. So Scott Gottlieb and Mitch Zeller recently published an article in the New England Journal of Medicine further discussing their plans for focusing on nicotine in the Center for Tobacco Control's new regulatory framework. They say many of the same things that Gottlieb and the FDA have already stated, like that their, their two primary goals are one, to reduce the addictiveness of combustible cigarettes, and two, to recognize the role that less harmful products can play in improving health. This journal article mentions that while nicotine is responsible for getting people addicted in the first place, it's also not directly responsible for cancer, lung disease, and heart disease. But it's an issue nonetheless, and why it's the centerpiece for their new direction. They also stress the importance of giving medicinal nicotine products a larger role in helping smokers to quit. And this is a really interesting subject that I wish they would explain on. They keep talking about it, but they haven't really said much about it, so I'm wondering if they are considering allowing electronic cigarettes to be classified as a smoking cessation aid. And now here's something interesting mentioned in the article. Gottlieb and Zeller pointed out that the Tobacco Control Act gives the FDA the authority to alter the addictiveness of combustible cigarettes. This is called the Tobacco Product Standard. The FDA can set standards for composition, construction, or any ingredient in a tobacco product, including the nicotine levels. The one thing the FDA can't do is require that nicotine levels are zero. The FDA is considering performing studies on maximum nicotine levels and the use of very low nicotine cigarettes. They also talk about exploring adverse effects of setting these standards. For example, if smokers instead smoke more cigarettes to get the nicotine that they desire. They point out that there are more recent studies showing that smokers don't end up smoking more, but that it's still something that needs to be studied. And this is a big issue that I've seen a lot of people talking about in the last couple of weeks, so it'll really be interesting to see what further research shows. And then the article turns focus towards harm reduction. They discuss the potential of improving the speed of delivering nicotine with FDA-approved nicotine products, and of course, the use of electronic cigarettes, which they say could conceivably deliver nicotine without the harms associated with combustible tobacco. The FDA plans to invest in science to help them understand the full risks and benefits of using electronic cigarettes. So yeah, not a whole lot that hasn't already been said, but a few new little interesting takeaways. And going back to the topic of the FDA requiring that cigarettes lower their nicotine levels, I received a great comment from one of my subscribers, Tommy Krynock, that asked if tobacco companies lower nicotine levels if it would be considered a new product and would it have to go through the pre-market tobacco application process, or the PMTA. And I don't see why they wouldn't, because it would be a different product. Or maybe they can submit a modified risk tobacco product application, or the MRTP. 
And what's also an interesting question is that if the FDA requires that all tobacco products lower their nicotine, tobacco companies would need to submit applications for all of their products, whether they want to or not. And would those applications be approved by the FDA? This could be a pretty big blow to the big tobacco industry. All right, and now some news for the travelers out there. Thailand is imprisoning people for vaping. I'm not much of a traveler, so I don't know what types of places around the world are good to visit, but supposedly Thailand is a popular tourist destination. In November 2014, Thailand approved a law that outlawed importing electronic cigarettes into the country. Selling vapor products in possession is also illegal. From what I've been reading, it sounds like vaping is very common in Thailand, even though government officials claim otherwise, but just recently it looks like law enforcement is starting to crack down, at least on travelers. In one recent case, a Swiss traveler was arrested on July 26, 2017 for vaping. He was charged with importing electronic cigarettes, even though he only had a single device with him. He spent six days in jail, but was bailed out and is now waiting for trial. He might be immediately deported, or he might have to serve five years in prison. Other sources say that he can face up to 10 years in prison. In another recent case, a travel agent's nephew was forced to pay a 125 pound fine on the spot after vaping in public. He was given that choice or threatened with jail. And jail isn't fun anywhere, but jail in Thailand is worse than in most places. According to the foreign travel advice page on the UK government's website, detention facilities are harsh, have limited access to healthcare, and there have even been recent cases of people dying while being detained. Thailand is strict on drugs too. If you're caught with marijuana, you can face a long prison sentence, and if you're caught with hard drugs like amphetamines, you can face a death penalty. Drugs are no joke there. It sounds like law enforcement officers are abusing their authority and taking advantage of travelers, so obviously if you're planning a trip to Thailand, don't take your vape gear. Okay, and now some bad news for New York City residents. So the New York City Council attacks electronic cigarettes with several bills. On August 9th, New York City's City Council voted on several pieces of legislation that affect electronic cigarettes. The first one is 1544B, an amendment that puts a 10% tax on tobacco products other than cigarettes, which includes e-cigarettes, and sends the proceeds to public housing. This law was passed by the City Council and is waiting for the mayor's signature. Something interesting about this bill is that it also states retail dealers of cigarettes and e-cigarettes would also be prohibited from delivering cigarettes, tobacco products, and e-cigarettes to consumers under this bill. I didn't know that cigarettes or e-cigarette delivery was a thing, but if anyone was doing it, they can't anymore. The second bill is 1547A, which puts a cap on the amount of tobacco retailers that are allowed in the city. Actually, it limits the amount of tobacco retail dealer licenses, but it's essentially the same thing. The cap has been determined to be half of however many licenses are already in effect at the time the bill is passed. This one has also passed and is waiting for the mayor's signature. The district caps don't affect any retailer who already has a license, so those people will be able to renew their licenses as usual. And they won't be taking licenses away, but I think this can be interpreted to mean that no tobacco retailers, including vape shops, will be allowed to open until retail license licenses are below the new cap, which practically means never. And then a third bill, 1532A, does basically the same thing that the last one, 1547A, does, but specifically targets electronic cigarettes. This one requires that anyone selling e-cigarettes has a license to sell them. This also caps the number of electronic cigarette dealers to half as many as already exist. And also like the last one, this doesn't affect anyone who already has a license. And then a fourth bill, 484A, prohibits smoking and vaping in common areas of public housing, such as apartment buildings that have fewer than 10 units. This is already a law in buildings with more than 10 units in NYC, so now they are covering the rest. 
A common area would be defined as areas like lobbies, stairways, roofs, and parking lots. And then finally, 1585A, which requires that any rental buildings have a smoking policy, including apartments, co-ops, and condos. The bill doesn't impose specific requirements in the policy, it only requires that rental buildings have one. The idea behind this is that potential tenants know whether or not they will be living in a building that allows or doesn't allow tobacco use. I don't see anything wrong with that one. So yeah, the New York City Council went to town on electronic cigarettes earlier this month. Uh, the biggest issues are mainly the 10% the tax and the cap on vape shops. That 10% tax really sucks for sure, but the new cap on vape shops is huge. Consumers can still buy online, but no more vape shops can open in the city. This will severely limit access to smokers who want to seek a less risky alternative to smoking. If any vape shops go out of business, a new one won't be able to open in its place because the cap has to be at half of what currently exists. It, that might be years or even decades or more before enough shops close to the point where more licenses be, can be given out. So lots of bad news for New York City residents. And the last topic this week, the University of California, San Francisco says Big Tobacco is selling NRT products that don't work. Researchers at University of California, San Francisco conducted a study designed to understand why tobacco companies shifted from seeing nicotine replacement products or NRT as a threat and then eventually to a business opportunity. What they claim to have found is that tobacco companies have known for decades that NRT products like nicotine gum, lozenges, sprays, and patches hardly ever work when they aren't used in combination with counseling. Knowing this, tobacco companies started to sell it. The results of the study were published in the American Journal of Public Health on August 17, 2017. The research team reviewed previously secret internal documents dated between 1960 and 2010 from seven large tobacco companies. They found that these tobacco companies initially started developing alternative nicotine products as far back as the 50s, but never followed through. But after pharmaceutical companies started selling prescription NRT products in the 90s, public perception of nicotine has changed to being less negative. Tobacco companies initially saw NRT products as a threat, but soon realized that they didn't work very well for cessation. Then in 2009, tobacco companies started to, to develop their own NRT products as a method of keeping consumers addicted to nicotine. The study is reporting that the, the tobacco industry discovered this and found that smokers would end up using NRT products along with regular tobacco products. Big Tobacco eventually started to see NRT as just another product to make money on, so they started manufacturing and selling it themselves. Well-known anti-vape activist Stanton Glantz, a UC CSF professor involved in this study, a co-author, says that this shows that nicotine needs to be regulated in all tobacco products, including NRT products like patches, gums, and electronic cigarettes. And what's interesting about this study is that Stanton Glantz was the co-author, and everything that Glantz does is biased. He performs studies to give him the outcomes that he wants. In this case, he has created a study that tries to make NRT products look bad by relating them to the tobacco industry. And anything related to the tobacco industry is instantly seen as bad by the public, regulators, the media, and even us vapors. I'm not arguing that what Big Tobacco has done here is not a bad thing. They saw an opportunity to keep people using nicotine to make more money. Believe me, I can see the conflict in this. I'm just saying that Glantz knows exactly what he's doing here, and it'll probably work. Many of us know that NRT products don't work, which is why we vape. But that's not the issue here. Glantz doesn't care about harm reduction. He wants complete prohibition of nicotine. And that's another thing that I disagree with. I don't believe nicotine is the enemy. It's cigarettes. It's becoming increasingly more known that nicotine is not dangerous. Sure, it's addictive, but we've seen from other studies that nicotine isn't as addictive in smokeless tobacco products as it is in cigarettes. 
Research has shown that vaping, for example, has much less addictiveness than smoking. And while I can't speak to NRT products like gum and patches, as far as vaping goes, studies have also shown that it's not a gateway drug. And when nicotine is not delivered via combustion, it's not particularly dangerous. Smoking kills people, not nicotine. When used in electronic cigarettes, nicotine gum, lozenges, or other NRT products, the risk is very low. Anyway, back to the study. Based on this study, what Glantz and his team is suggesting is that NRT products should be changed back to being available only via prescription and with the requirement that it's used with counseling and then eventually tapered down. And this is to prevent what they are calling nicotine abuse. Dory Apollonio, PhD, lead author of the study, was quoted as saying, Tobacco companies put out these products as a way to sidestep policies by giving people a way to smoke without smoking. That's extremely misleading. Nicotine delivery without smoking is nowhere near as dangerous as smoking, which to me sounds like is what she's implying. And while I agree that FDA-approved NRT products probably have a low success rate, by making it prescription only, it might result in a lower success rate overall with smokers quitting or switching to a less harmful product. And something I want to add here is that Glance is making it seem like people are seriously abusing NRT products, but he fails to mention that there are studies that show that NRT abuse is low and that long-term use of nicotine medications are rare. The way I see it, who cares if Big Tobacco saw nicotine replacement products as a business opportunity? There's no denying that it's a much safer product. People are going to use nicotine if they want. It might as well be in a minimally risky product. Okay, that's all I have for this week. You'll find the show notes for this episode on vapepassion.com. Just do a search for episode 83. If you want to support this show, consider donating to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash vapepassion. You can follow me on Twitter at vapepassion, and I'm also on Facebook. If you like the show, I'd love it if you gave me a review on iTunes. You can also catch the video version of the podcast on YouTube. If you're not already a subscriber, please subscribe. If you want to get notifications and new reviews or of the show, you can sign up to receive my weekly email on vapepassion.com and if you have any questions or comments feel free to email me anytime or leave a comment on one of my videos all right i'll see you next week